0: Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their on boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey, bosses, and welcome to episode 273 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I am your host, Johnny FD, and it has been exactly one year since I've done an episode on this show, and I figured I would give everybody an update on my forced nomadic journey back into location independence and minimalism, as well as working online, Uh, and what has happened over this last 365 days almost. It is crazy. A lot has happened. A lot has changed, uh, and there's been a lot of life lessons learned since then. So thank you for staying subscribed. I'm su- sure you're surprised to hear from me. And I would say a couple things. things. Um, one is this is going to be a solo episode. I've actually had a lot of people reach out over the last year wanting to be guests on this podcast specifically. The digital nomad movement since the end of COVID has actually been huge. And I have built such a big platform with this podcast, the Nomad Summit, the digital nomad coffee clubs that happen every week in places like Chiang Mai. Uh, we even started one Grand Canary. Uh, and if I had stayed in the nomad community, uh, I actually would have probably been very successful, especially hosting events or uh, conferences, or if I started a um, you know, some kind of co-living or uh, you know, co-traveling conference. But to be honest, it's been many years since I've had my heart in there. I was so excited from 2013 to about 2019 for the nomad community. It felt like it, we're all pioneers, you know, and especially in the beginning, it was hard to meet each other. The concept of working online from a laptop was just very strange. So it was just very entrepreneur mind minded people. Since COVID, it's such a popular term. You know, working remote isn't really something an adventurous person <laughs> does. It's just kind of what everybody does. You know, everybody works from home, everyone works remotely. A lot of people just working for IT or work for companies. And honestly, it's kind of lost its its adventure and charm for me. Uh, every you know, four or five years, I lose interest in things, and I end up diving really deep into something else. You know, I've done this all my life, whether it was with. Self development with uh, MMA or Muay Thai, with scuba diving, with living cheaply, with um, you know just learning different skills or you know travel things like that. And the nomad journey was a big part of it uh, for about five years, from 2013 to 2018. I did nothing but dream and eat and sleep and talk about entrepreneurship. And honestly, I was a little bit over it. Instead, I really wanted to settle down and have a very normal life. I decided I didn't want to move back to the U.S., uh, so I decided to get permanent residency using one of those golden visa programs abroad. Spain, Portugal, you know, these places were all half a million dollars or at least, you know, $300,000, $400,000. And I didn't really want to live there anyways. That's why I decided to do it in Ukraine. And I was in the process last October 2021, of renovating my apartment right in the city center, and everything was going great. I saw improvements, you know, slow but it was exciting going there and seeing the progress every week or every two weeks. Uh, I even started helping out a little bit where I could and sanding things and you know building IKEA furniture or just putting things together, and it felt like I saw see my new life and dream come true. And right around then. If you guys can remember, there was a lot of talk in the news about Russia building up troops on the border. For their uh, at the time, they said it was an exercise. And the West, uh, people in the US, they started getting really worried. I remember December 2021, everybody said, Get out, get out of the Ukraine, Russia's gonna attack any minute now. They had their forces there, meanwhile. Everyone I knew inside Ukraine, especially in Kyiv, thought, that's impossible. You know, there's no way Putin is stupid enough to attack Ukraine. There's no way he was going to win here. There's no way, even if he somehow slipped through, there's zero chance he's going to keep Ukraine and keep Kyiv. You know, people don't want to be under Russian control. There, there's zero chance that Russia is going to do this. Putin's going to ruin his career, ruin the Russian economy, and... You know, at best, he's going to hold it for a month and then lose control anyways. But most likely, he's not going to even be able to break through. So we who are actually living there, and this is both the expat community, but also the Ukrainians, uh, including very smart people, you know. um, I remember hearing a phrase once, don't listen to what people say, look at what people do. And what really convinced me that nothing was bad was going to happen is the restaurant tours and the, the property developers, they were putting a lot of money into investing and opening new restaurants and new businesses, uh, you know, new apartments inside of Kiev. And I thought, these people are connected, they're smart. they're investing millions of dollars. you know, they probably know better than some random person on Facebook or Twitter who watches US news and says this thing's happening so at that time some people did leave uh every other day i would get warnings to leave and the people that who did leave i didn't really respect their opinion anyways there were people who would have you know panicked and left regardless of what happened and i know this because in 2015 i believe around that time i was in thailand during the military coup and on the ground everything was okay it was calm yes we knew there were some things happening but Overall, it wasn't negatively affecting our lives, and we knew it was probably wasn't going to escalate any further. While the news, people were panicked, saying Thailand has been, you know, taken over by the military. You guys are screwed. Get out, get out, get out. And I'm happy that I stayed because literally nothing bad happened, uh, you know, to our, our lives and livelihood. There were some, you know conflicts happening in like Bangkok at the airport, but for our general life, nothing changed. And this similar scenario has happened many times in the last 10 years in different countries, and every time the, you know, fear mongers were incorrect. But if I had moved every single time, I never would have really stabilized anywhere. I would have missed all those great years in places like Thailand. So when I was in Ukraine, I decided, you know what, I'm going to listen to what President Zelensky is saying, I'm going to listen to what the intelligent investors and entrepreneurs are doing, and I'm not going to listen to what, you know, Western news uh, and people who don't even live here are saying. And it turns out on, well, even before February 24th, the economy started doing bad because of all the fear. And I started getting really pissed off because it was hurting Ukraine even without a Russian invasion. But it turns out Russia really was crazy enough to invade February 24th. That changed everything. Before that, I I swear life was so good in Ukraine. It was getting better and better every year. The infrastructure was amazing. The standard of living was going up for everybody. I mean, the buses... Would ha- take pay, you know Apple Pay and PayPass, you know, and they ran well. So there's good public transport, uh, you know. Houses, new luxury apartment buildings were being put up everywhere. You know, great, amazing restaurants putting you know were everywhere. There was super fast, you know, LTE and 4G in the metro stations. You know, uh, you never lose signal. Life, um, honestly, life was better than London, and for a fraction of the price as well. You know, I had just spent so much time renovating my apartment, and finally, I believe it was in this. It was January, I believe. I finally was able to move in mid January, and I was finally able to start unpacking and enjoying my apartment, enjoying my house. You know, something that I had been saving up for ten years to buy and dreaming about. You know, for my my for decades, and I wanted to stop traveling. I wanted to stop. Being a digital nomad, I wanted to just live in my apartment in peace, get married, have kids, you know, have a dog, have a cat, you know, have a very normal life. And I was happy living off of my passive income as well as the rental income from my property in Kharkiv, which is on Airbnb, and just doing some side gigs for fun, things I like, like doing, investing, and the investment podcast. Um, speaking of which, if you haven't. Uh, Subscribed. Check out Invest Like a Boss. That is a podcast I run with my two partners, uh, Derek and Sam, and that has been going strong with weekly episodes. You know, for the last five years, nonstop, even during this invasion. So after February, after the invasion, I packed a bag on February 25th because it was so uncertain what would happen in 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 Ukraine. Nobody knew, and if you've never been in that situation. You really have no idea how you would react, you know, because they always say everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, I guarantee you everyone has a plan until their lives are threatened uh, by unknown terrorism, you know, uh, being attacked by another country with missiles and tanks. And I had two choices. I can either stay or I can leave. And I knew I had to make that decision very quickly because on February 25th there were still train tickets you can buy, and you know everything was funct- functionally relatively normally, you know. And I knew if I'd stayed, I would have to stay for the long run. I asked myself it's a very simple but difficult question. I asked myself, would I be a better use if I stayed, or if I, or would I just get in the way? Uh, would I be more useful to Ukraine? if I stayed or if I left. Even though I had been studying the language for the last two years, you know, really it's it's so basic that I wouldn't be able to communicate. I don't know the rules, I don't know the regulations. Uh, and because I have zero military background, I wouldn't be accepted even into the, the foreign legion. And by living there, I'm just another body there that's Confusing the the military defense, you know, why is this guy here? Now we have to protect him. Uh, also being an American, it's a liability. So I realized, you know what, there's nothing I can do in Ukraine. I have to leave. Uh, so on February 24th, I went to Hungary and with just a backpack, a uh, 65 liter backpack. And basically from then, I've been a digital nomad again. I've been... You know, traveling around with minimalist luggage, wearing the same one jacket, one pair of shoes, uh, and my MacBook Air. I floated around for a few months uh, from Hungary to Poland, and then I decided I'll go back to Ukraine. I'll go back to Kyiv. Things were starting to calm down, and I want to help um, fundraise. So even though it was still dangerous, Kyiv itself thankfully was spared um, or protected you know Russia definitely wanted to take <laughs> take Kiev but thanks to the you know US and NATO backed defense systems as well as the Ukrainian forces they were able to keep the Russian forces outside of the center of Kiev mostly untouched and i went home and i stayed there for 2 months and i did nothing but fundraising videos and i collected over at the time maybe close to $60,000 in those couple of months um 35,000 has been donated to a Ukrainian uh, charity, uh, Razom for Ukraine. That one, they have uh, offices in New York, but they also have uh, offices in Lviv. And that went to humanitarian aid and medicine and things like that. And the other um, 20,000 or so, I distributed to on the ground charities, to People that I knew in Ukraine, you know, I literally messaged everyone that I had met and had a relationship with. Whether it was, you know, uh, my real estate agent, you know, asking, you know, do you know anyone who needs help? You know, uh, I would message friends, you know, the parents of, you know, of, of people that I had met, the shopkeeper, the gym person, you know, literally just whoever I knew in person and I trusted. I just asked. Like, who do you know that needs help? And I sent the money directly or I bought them things that they needed. Uh, We also raised um, money and bought uh, vehicles for places like the the military who needed, um, for example, a a 4x4 um, to evacuate civilians, a medical truck, uh, as well as a pickup truck that they needed for... uh, basically tank defense. They would have these soldiers on the back with, I think, they're called N-laws. There's uh, anti-tank tank tank missiles that they would just drive a normal pickup truck. This guy would be in the back of it, and when they would see a Russian tank coming, they would destroy it. We also bought a van for an orphanage as well as a couple new washing machines um, because they were expecting more kids. And like literally, you know, tons of food and medicine. And really, it was a uh, a very eye-opening and kind of heartwarming experience to be able to, to do this. Uh, and a couple months ago, I believe it was the end of August. So September 1st, I needed to be in Portugal. Uh, I got an offer to speak at Anton's dropshipping course. He has a monthly, uh, sorry, a yearly conference just for his members. And because of COVID, it had been a few years since they had met. And he asked me if I wanted to be one of the speakers. He said uh, he would pay for my travel and give me you know, $500 to, to come speak uh, just for my time. And I thought, you know what? This is a good experience to see all my old friends as well as earn a little bit of money and, you know, Kind of spend a month or two uh, outside of Ukraine before uh, before winter before it settles in, and at the time it, there were a couple things happening that were very unsure of. Of in um, in Ukraine, there was the you know Russian uh, freedom like R- Russian Paul Day on uh, September ninth, their their glory day of the, uh, against World War Two, uh, as well as other things that were coming up that made it not the safest time to be in um, in Ukraine. One of my best friends, uh, who happens to be my cousin, uh, I haven't seen him in two years because of COVID, and he was gonna be in Paris. He had bought a $7,000 travel package for him and his wife. Kind of like a second honeymoon to go to Paris for a week. And I said, you know what? I'm in Portugal, it's close by. Let me go there. And it was really nice spending a week with him. Uh, I spent much less than that. I think my hotel was maybe $75 a night, my Airbnb. And my flight was less than $100. Um, But I got to spend a week in Paris, my first time there. And I got to travel with a friend um, that was living in the UK. And I decided to drop her off back in the UK um, and kind of see her off. So that was my September And on my way back, I wanted to see my friend Engen and Lena, who I met in Sri Lanka uh, almost two years ago now, because they just had a baby, and they invited me to come hang out with them and stay with them. And I said, yeah, sure, why not? Um, I was waiting for a document, ironically, from Ukraine for the permanent residency. Uh, This golden visa had applied for a year and a half ago, was finally approved, but in order to activate it, I needed to be outside of Ukraine to go to a Ukrainian embassy uh, with a piece of paper to get some kind of visa to go back into Ukraine to finish the process. And it was going to take a few weeks to to finish this paperwork because they had to send the the form to my address in Kyiv. Then my lawyer had to go there, pick it up, um, get it. Certified, copied, and then sent to me. And then I had to take that and bring it to an outside embassy. And in those two weeks, it was perfect because I got to see Engen, Lena, and their new uh, baby boy, Noah. And I spent two weeks with them in Austria, you know, kind of living a very normal uh, life. Uh, I also got to see Lena's parents and grandmother who escaped from Kharkiv during uh, the Russian invasion. They really didn't want to go. to, to go. They wanted to stay in Kharkiv. They actually stuck it out for a few months. And things just got too dangerous, so they were forced to leave. And it was nice to spend time with them, you know, have a little normal life. But then in October, uh, on October 10th, I decided it's time to go back to, uh, to Ukraine. And I took a train that morning. And that very same morning, the October 10th, bombings happened in Kyiv. Uh, you might remember if you listen to uh, the news about these Iranian drones uh, that Russia had bought, you know, like, swarming all of Ukraine, basically, and destroying countless apartment buildings, you know, restaurants, um, do, you know, damaging civilian um, residential buildings, even destroying a playground, which, which is in Shchenko Park, which is very close to my house, actually, just literally just up the hill, probably about half a mile away. So, imagine, you know, your local park that you walk to—that's six blocks away, you know, probably maybe a kilometer—and having the playground there where kids were playing blown up by a Russian kamikaze drone or Iranian kamikaze drone that Russia bought. You know, there was also a university there that got damaged and. Russia also decided to, you know, target the electricity and um, and gas uh, infrastructure. So Ukraine would be out of electricity and out of heat for the winter. It was a very scary time. And that was on the day that I was on the train and I was supposed to be heading back to um, to Kiev. You know, still would have been a few days to, to get back because it's a long journey. There's no flights. You know, I can't just fly from Vienna back to Kiev like I used to be able to. I was going to go through the capital, uh, stop by the Ukrainian embassy to pick up some paperwork, and then basically the next day or the, or the day after, take a train through Hungary or through Poland, you know, through Lviv, and then back to Kiev. So that was, ironically, the exact same day that I started that journey. And I don't know if it was luckily or unluckily, the embassy told me that their systems were down. And I and it wasn't just their system. It was all the systems worldwide for Ukrainian embassies. And I believe it was a Russian attack. Uh, we we don't hear about the cyber attacks, but Russia has a big team of hackers as well. So they said the systems are down and they couldn't issue me the visa and that I would have to wait a week or two for things to come back online. <laughs> and I decided, okay, what do I do? Do I stay in expensive Vienna for um, for another week or two weeks and wait when I go somewhere else. And I decided, you know what, um, I'll take a look to see what is the cheapest flight I can find somewhere warm that has cheap Airbnbs BNBs I can kind of just chill out for two weeks. And ideally, it would have been still within the Schengen just so I didn't have to snap in and out because I thought ah, this would be a quick two weeks. I just want to get back to Poland uh, and then go back to Kiev. Grand Canary and um, Lanzarote, the, the other Canary Island, was my my first choice. I'm, I'm, my buddy David Vu's there, and we wanted to go diving together. Uh, it's it's warm even in you know, October, November, and I th- also thought about maybe Turkey or you know, even Cyprus or something. But I was like, you know what? I'm really not in the mood to travel and explore a new place. I just want a comfortable Airbnb with two rooms, a big TV, and a place to to catch up on some video editing and just to chill out. So that place ended up being Athens, Greece. You know, it's warm because it's in the south. Uh, The Airbnb wasn't super cheap, but for $1,100 a month after all fees for 31 days... uh, and a $50 flight, it was the cheapest option possible. So relatively inexpensive Airbnb. Airbnbs have gone up a lot in price in the last few months and this year. I think originally I was looking for a place for around $600 a month, which used to be possible. But nowadays, um, even after the peak season, there was nothing that was decent. You know, nowhere that had a separate room with a a couch and a TV. um, And... You know, nothing very comfortable so I ended up booking for Athens and I wanted to do two weeks but it was way cheaper to, to book for a month so I decided you know what if in two weeks something's still happening you know, I don't want to double spend and ironically it's exactly been two weeks since I arrived and Kiev is without power there's no electricity uh, and we don't know what's happening uh, with the war so I'm kind of happy that I'm forced to stay longer, even though I am anxious and ready to leave because I now don't really have the option to, to leave now uh less want to give up the the money for both the Airbnb I've already paid for as well as the flight um, from here to Cheshineau, actually, which was the cheapest flight I could find. Here's a travel tip or pro tip for traveling to, to Athens. During the summer... There's a ton of cheap flights all around Europe to Athens, but as soon as the season ends, so uh, after mid-October, there are no flights. All those those seasonal airlines like Ryanair, Wizz Air, they stopped flying, and prices triple. So instead of having a fifty-dollar flight out, the cheapest flight I could find was one hundred fifty, and that would be for November thirteenth. Uh, through Chisinau, Madova. And I originally wanted to fly through Krakow or Warsaw. But uh, those flights are more expensive. Came, you know, got in at weird times. And also I realized, you know what? It, it actually takes longer to get from Krakow or Warsaw to Kiev than it does from Chisinau, which has a direct bus. It's still a long bus. It's a 13-hour overnight bus. But at least it's a direct bus. So that's my plan. Um... I don't really love being in Athens. I think it's an okay city to be a nomad or expat in. There's a small expat community. It's not huge. Some people, Um, most people here just have normal jobs. Uh, There's not like a digital nomad scene here. And the internet's not very good. My upload speed here is terrible, Uh, even though the download speed is great. I think I get maybe 20 down which lets me watch and stream HD um, you know movies at least or watch YouTube and at least 720 or if not 1080p the upload speed is so bad it's less than 1 megabyte per second which means it takes me seven or eight hours to upload uh, a 20 minute you know YouTube video which is insane so not a good place to work but it works you know it's good enough prices are low enough cost of food and restaurants are pretty cheap supermarkets are relatively affordable uh, you know you can take a, a, a taxi for five or six dollars which isn't cheap it's also not expensive uh, the metro works very well it's a dollar it's per ride which is very cheap uh, they even had a 30 day pass which i tried to buy but isn't available in the machines and there was no cashier working there which is another kind of funny thing about Athens, just some things just don't work, you know. I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, a oh, day off, or they didn't show up, or you know, that's just the way things are. It's the Mediterranean culture; uh, it's better to be <laughs> eat lazy and you know let people complain than it is to, to to work too much. i would say that, you know. And the uh, place I'm living in, it's relatively comfortable. It's big enough. Um, there's nothing wrong with it, but I miss home. You know, and every day I think about dreaming about being back in Kyiv, even though it's cold there and the weather is terrible and there might not be electricity for half the day. I still don't imagine my life back home in Kiev, And even though here I have everything, I have sun, I have, you know, places open all night. If I wanted to go party or go to a bar or something, and it's just, I'm not into it. It's just not my thing at all. I don't enjoy it. And I don't really want to be there. Um, I went to a bar in uh, Vienna on my second to my last night at Alp. And I had one drink. I had a Radler, which is a lemonade beer mix. Um, and I was there talking to a, uh, a couple. Um, you know, there's a few people that were, were speaking. They're friendly. The girl was very nice. And when I, I think I, I went to the bathroom or something and I came back, and she was crying, and I said, "You know what happened?" And she said, "Nothing, nothing. I just had a little uh, argument with my boyfriend." A few minutes later, I see um, her uh, with a bloodied lip, and it turns out he had hit her. Uh, he was drunk, and he, you know, said something. You know, you know well, I don't know what his stupid excuse was. He probably said, you know, why are you talking to these other guys, or you know, you're a slut, or whatever. but whatever, you know, BS reason he had, he hit her hard enough for her to, to bleed, and I saw it, and right away I said, oh my god, what's happening? So I said to some other patrons there, I said, like we need to call the police, like what's what's going on, and they said, yeah, you know, don't worry about it, it's just you know he's drunk. And I said, "No, we have to do something." So I went up to the female uh, manager of the of the place, and I said, "Please call the police." He uh, hit this—you know—he beat his girlfriend, and she said, "No, no, no! Like, let's not get the police involved. You know, this—it's this is a domestic matter." And I was like, "No, we we can't have that happen. You know, we can't let this happen." So I went up to him, and I said, "You like what?" Ha-? I said, "Why? Why did you hit her?" And he said, you know, she was acting like a slut. And I said, I don't care what she was doing. You can't hit a woman. And he basically says to me, fuck you. Um, And he comes after me, like, uh, physically. And we ended up having a a fight. You know, he he hits me. Uh, This is the first physical altercation I've been in in 10 years. In literally 10 years, I haven't been into any kind of physical fight. And I haven't wanted to. Um, you know, I'm way well over it. I also understand how dangerous it is to get into a a fight, both legally but also physically. And you never know, you know, if the other person has a knife or they're trained in something. And I'm lucky that I'm a big enough guy that's, you know, I guess imposing enough or confident enough Or the few times where something almost happened, I just kind of stared them in the eyes and just said, like, Look, like let's let's not fight. Uh, but if you if you insist, you know, I'll kick your ass. And that's always been good enough, <laughs> you know. And this time, not. I think probably because he was drunk, but probably also because he's probably a sociopath. You know, if he would hit a girl, he definitely would hit a guy. And he punched me, um, I guess in my one of my eyes now, I and basically gave me a black eye. And to be honest, the whole thing was a, a blur. Um, you know, luckily, I only had that half a lemonade, so I, didn't, I wasn't drunk or anything. But um, I fought back, and I thought that was going to be the end of it. Um, you know, he was on the ground, and I I walked away. Um, the girlfriend jumped on top of him and said, you know, like, stop, stop, stop. And he hits her again. <sighs> And everybody saw it. Like, it was very clear. There was a ton, you know, and this is, we're outside at this point. Everybody saw it. And I was looking at them. I said, do something, guys. Like, you know, there's women, you know, just neighbors. And I said, like, do something. And this is what drives me crazy is people, you would think we live in a world where everybody would step in to protect um, someone else. Especially if it's a woman getting attacked. You know, I think he punched her and then threw her down, like, on the ground when she was trying to stop him from, you know, from uh, from continuing and, and getting up. And this is, you know, honestly, it made me lose a lot of hope for, for humanity and, and people. Um, it's sad. Like, online, you hear so many people advocating for, you know, for what's right. People get so mad about, uh, you know, anything that you do to even remotely make someone feel uncomfortable. Yet when actual violence happens, like nobody does anything. And it's the same with Ukraine now. I mean, for the last five years, you know, all these big movements online have been so strong and powerful. You know, the Me Too movement, feminism, BLM, you know, just to name a few. And people were so strongly, you know, you know, Demonstrating, you know, so many strong voices. And when the Ukraine war actually happened, you know, Russia attacked a peaceful country, you know, and then invaded with a full force, the full army. And their soldiers came and murdered civilians, burned down, destroyed houses, and raped countless, you know, uh, women, children, you know, and this wasn't a mild case of making someone feel uncomfortable with your words or using strong language or you know touching someone inappropriately or you know uh you know what Jeff you know uh Jeffrey Epstein did and hired you know 16 and 17 year old uh, girls to go party with these you know billionaire guys you know all those things are you know are also bad but not compared to Putting a gun to someone's head and raping their twelve-year-old child, and the fact that people haven't been enraged by this and haven't you know spoken up about it, you know these same people that I've known now for years who protested uh, and posted on social media about every potentially um, you know uh, atrocious thing out there, and it's been crickets. It's been silent. You know, and I know they're still online because I see them posting about, you know, whatever masterminds they went to, whatever, um, you know, healing circles they've been to, their their photos from Bali, you know, how beautiful things are. And I'm like, I'm sure you are aware that these atrocities are happening and they're indescribable. There's been so many, you know, physical violent attacks, you know. Murders, rapes, psychological and physical damage done to people, just everyday people, in twenty twenty two and the amount of people who have spoken about up about it that were vocal when it came to you know, things that someone may or may not have even said or done or alleged to do that probably never happened, or if it did happen, was one one thousandth of the the damage done by someone going in and shooting someone's family and burning down their house, it really just made me lose all hope. Um, and I've been depressed. Like one of the reasons why I've been offline, you know, I haven't been, you know, my normal self and I haven't been wanting to go to, to events or meetups or get back into the community. Is honestly it just I'm I'm depressed, you know? Uh when you press about this war happening in the first place, but in 2022, you think we would live in peaceful times? You know, there's no reason why Putin and Russia should have started this war. And all the BS reasons that Russia gave, you know, NATO expansion or you know, protecting Russian speakers or, um, I, don't, I don't know what else he said, bio labs or uh, birds being trained as drones or, you know, um, Satanism <laughs> or the alt-right Nazism these were all BS reasons that the, the, the that Russians made up you know like I'm not saying that Ukraine is perfect but I guarantee you they didn't deserve any of this you know like and Ukraine in the last six years I've been going it was just improving every year they're fighting corruption they knew they knew they had a lot of problems left over from USSR but since 2014, They've been fighting those problems, and it's been improving and they were on their way to being you know a great country full of you know technological advances, good people and Russia just took that away from them, so yes, I know not everybody has a connection with Ukraine, and especially not as much as I do because I actually moved there, you know I knew the people so on one hand i I understand why not everybody you know. I, and i don't i don't require people to you know to change their profile photo to you know stand with ukraine or i pray for ukraine honestly you know those things normally don't even really help you know just by making one post to say you did it but the fact is the same people you know that had very little or, or no connection with things like bom in the us you know they posted uh people who you know, were in support of um, you know LGBT or trans rights when they themselves don't have that connection. They posted about it, but when it came to this war in Ukraine, which is a million times worse than discrimination or not having proper pronouns that make everyone feel happy and comfortable, or having a third bathroom, or not having you know, the pay in the WNBA, BS, you know, the same in men and women's sports, you know, those are all issues that people can talk about during peace times because life in general is easy enough where we're not starving and we're not worried about freezing to death or dying. Having those arguments are a sign that we live in a very good time in the world and in a country where we're safe, that we're allowed to even think about things like that. And when it comes down to shit hitting the fan, those people will just stop posting. You know, and... Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know how to think about it. Uh, so, as for me, my, my plans, my future plans, I'm going to stay here for another two weeks. Um, and my plan is to go back to Ukraine. As long as there isn't an immediate danger in Kiev itself, and as long as that there's at least... Power half the day, and at least you know um, enough heat where I won't physically freeze to death. Even if it's not on fully, I'll go back because it's it's the home that I've made, and also it's where I can help most. Even though from here, I've still been finding ways to deploy the uh, the donation money, which I still have maybe twenty percent of it. That hasn't been deployed yet. Uh, from here, it's a little bit hard to find worthy causes uh, and also to to show where that money goes if I'm not there filming and meeting the people in person. So I've been holding on to a little bit of it waiting for the right time. So I want to go back in ukraine and and help uh, more, especially during the winter where I know um, you know I know a lot of people are gonna are gonna need housing, food, and warm clothing. So if you want to follow that journey, I'm sure you already uh, follow my YouTube channel, but if you don't, it's YouTube um, slash Johnny FD, and yeah, uh, I don't know when I'm gonna make another one of these these posts. So if you enjoyed it, please let me know somehow. Um, I know it's a bit hard to leave a comment on on uh, on a podcast, but you can message me on Instagram uh, Johnny FDJ or on Twitter Johnny FDK, and same on Facebook Johnny FDK, and let me know if you've enjoyed. This episode. If you want to hear more, if you have any questions or any feedback, it's kind of just a one-hour kind of rant of uh, what's been going on, um, and kind of a way to get some things off my chest that I haven't really publicly talked about. the The worst thing about YouTube is it's not a place to have these long form, you know, thoughts. Uh, people want you know entertainment. People want these short snippets, and those are the best, you know, best performing videos blogs unfortunately people don't really read anymore so i've mostly stopped updating my my written blog johnnyfd.com Though today i finally shared an article i finally sat down and wrote an article debunking and explaining uh, what happened in the donbass from 2014 till now because one of the most common arguments on why russia invaded ukraine and started this war is they'll say something like what about you know ukraine bombing their civilians in donbass in 2014 And the thing is, there's not that much information out there about it from the Ukrainian side. Because from Ukraine's side, it's such a ridiculous thing. Like, why would they kill their own people? It was clearly Russia doing it. That they just kind of brush it off and say, like, like, don't, you know, let's ignore these idiots. But the problem is, in the U.S. and in the West, there's been so many, I don't want to call them woke people. I don't know what the better term is. But people who have, you know, f- figured it out, uh, that the government doesn't tell them everything or that, you know, they are somehow special because they have this knowledge that other people don't know that the sheeple, you know, uh, don't understand, you know, the people who are anti-vax or, uh, you know, anti, anti-government, you know, into crypto or into whatever. Those people also like to think that everything in the world, you know, has these secrets, um, you know reasons, and the problem is the world is not black and white. Things you know, things aren't that easy. You know, even with the vaccine, you know, the two sides are either it was completely unnecessary and stupid. Vaccines don't work. Uh You know, COVID is a scam, or it was the opposite, where you need to wear a mask twenty four seven. I don't understand how people are so illogical and so stupid that they don't realize. That there's a middle ground where maybe the truth was COVID potentially was very, very bad. And scientists didn't know yet how bad it would be. So the best thing they could do is try to contain it as much as they can by you know creating the, the lockdowns and the vaccines and the masks. And maybe either the severity of that is what made COVID not that big of a deal in the, uh, at the end or... Maybe they had overreacted, but it was better for them to try to overreact uh, than to underreact. And the fact that I haven't heard this discussed anywhere, it just really boggles my mind, and it also makes me sad for humanity. Like how is this rational, uh in the middle argument about COVID not the default? Why does it have to be extreme? Why does it have to be left or right? You know, right or wrong? So with the Ukraine situation, you know, they'll say, yeah, well, you know, what about what happened in 2014 in Abbas? And I wrote a whole piece on it. So just you can read on johnnyfd.com. It has eight points in it. But things like this is basically like people are falling for either Russian propaganda without even knowing or there's overblowing things where they personally have no experience or knowledge in it. You know, just just how the anti-vaxxers are not scientists, especially not biologists, but they somehow think that they're smarter than than the world's best scientists, or they think that scientists are out to get them. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. And unfortunately, it seems like there's a lot of people... Um, Sometimes it feels like it's the majority, even though I I know it's not. I know the majority of people are very normal, rational, logical people, or maybe they just don't even have that much time to think about it, so they just don't think about it. But because of the way the internet works, and that even someone who previously would not have a voice because they didn't deserve or earn a voice, now they can scream on top of Twitter, on top of reddit top of facebook top of instagram as loud as someone who you know has had 20 years experience or something and that is the problem with the internet world we live in now especially because they can do it anonymously especially because they take they can take one small grain of truth and spin that into an entire argument Uh, that they can dig up something that you said or did 10 or 20 years ago and try to destroy your whole character based on that, on invalidating your points on you know, who you are now, what you did now. You know it's happening with Elon Musk as we speak. You know, be, you know, some people don't agree with uh, some things he's doing or he's said, and they brought up something about what his dad, uh, you know, his dad's relationships. You know, and I'm like, what does that have to do with Elon? You know, or they bring up, bring up one of Elon's relationships from ten years ago. And I'm like, what does it have to do with he, what he's doing now? And I'm not even defending him because there's a lot of things that he's doing now that I don't like or agree with. But I would never assassinate someone's character uh, because of something you know that they said or did 20 years ago if their stance has changed. If they're still doing that today, yes, then that's one thing. But to bring up something that is from literally two lifetimes ago or two decades ago... Like, who cares? You know, and, and that's what kind of really drives me crazy about uh, a lot of th- these things is we live in a, in a moment in time right now. There's so much happening, but people can't think about the present uh, or about the future. They're just dwelling still in the past. And yeah. anyways, uh, I'm going to end this here because honestly, I feel like it's a waste of my time. Uh, I don't know how many people even listen to this anymore. And uh, I don't. I really doubt that the people who have already made up their minds uh, will will change it. You know, just I feel like I wasted an hour this morning typing out that blog post because the trolls and the haters, the people who, you know, anyone who will argue that it's okay that Russia is killing, you know, people in Ukraine or that we should just appease and give Ukraine, uh, give up Ukraine and and do whatever Russian Putin wants. Those people aren't going to be able to read and think about something rationally anyways. And unfortunately, those people have the loudest voice right now. Um, my life itself has had a lot of you know ups and downs, uh, a lot of downs in this last year, but it's nowhere as bad as people that I personally know, uh, and people that I've met and you know, uh, people living in cities I've been to in Ukraine. So that's why I try not to complain about what's happening in my life. but just because I don't say anything doesn't mean it's not happening. I hope that uh, a year from now I can make another update and everything's going to be more calm. Uh, The war would have been over and Ukraine would be rebuilt, or at least the process will be, and that people will learn their lessons. This world will be a a good, peaceful place, but we'll see. Till then, uh, take care. I hope everyone is doing well. uh, And... I hope the next update is going to be a good one. We'll see. Slava Ukraine, guys. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.